Every, I, I am absolutely in agreement with Levi's prayer. I don't know that um, we can't call on you enough. This is this is all about you. This is all about worshiping you. This is all about getting to know you. This is all about getting to know and being conformed to your truth. This is all about dependency on you to reveal yourself through your spirit. This is all about Christ in us. Levi asked something of you and I would ask it again from the depths of my heart that you would silence our presuppositions about you. All of us have wrong feelings and wrong views of you. God, please cause our hearts to be broken and contrite and willing to receive truth. Cause us to know that that you want to teach us truth. That this isn't about our striving. This is about our submission. This is about our obedience to you and listening to your voice. You you long to reveal yourself to us. You long to show us who you are and what you are so that our relationship with you is intimate. So our relationship with you is fulfilling and rich. Sorry that we have such a propensity to to live in our flesh, to order things and order your character and order what we think about you in the way that conforms and fits us. You are God. You are other than us. You are other than our, our molds, our boxes that we try to put you in. God, please be God today. We trust. We're dependent. We're utterly dependent on your Holy Spirit to teach us. We can be as, as confident and as sure that your Holy Spirit will teach us as we can that Jesus were sitting right here teaching us. In spite of me. So God, I ask that in spite of me, you would work and teach us your truth. Cause us to, to leave here with a greater understanding and a greater awe of you. Amen. In Colossians 2, um, actually the last part of 1 and 2, let me let me read it and then we'll Go back. I'm reading in the New American Standard. So, verse 24, or actually verse 25 of chapter 1. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. Obviously, this is Paul speaking to the church in Colossae. Um, I would state that's my heart too. I think it should be the heart of any pastor that God has called to be a pastor. So, Paul had not met these people in Colossae. Again, Paul was writing, um, having heard about them. The church was close, probably, to his work that he had participated in. 
um, in Philippi, and but it wasn't he he hadn't been to the church apparently or hadn't personally met him, but he feels called. He's called might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints. What is this mystery? This mystery. And who are these saints? To whom God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. There's a few verses here and the Gospel is summed up in them. Uh, the truth of God's desire to have a relationship with us is is described clearly in them. I would charge you to read them and read them and read them. Um, we so easily lose sight of the importance of this Bible that God has preserved for us. Um, I, I believe that we you know, we grew up in an era, in a generation, in a church that was biblically or doctrinally sound, my wife and I, but, but, and I would say that intellectually they're correct on a lot of, on a lot of measures. Unfortunately, um, they forgot that this book is the, this book is the finally inspired Word of God, and we need to listen to it, and we need to be conformed to it. Um, he's going to, Paul's going to make a reference a couple times to being deceived here. And we are people that are easily deceived, led by our presuppositions or what other people say. Too often those things tend to go on generationally. I believe one of the tragedies in that is that we, too often as, as pastors or as teachers, tend to preach out of con- out of commentaries, tend to read the Word of God and rather than having the Word of God interpret. This is, this is, by the way, the best way to understand what God says in a place that's difficult. And if you don't find places that are difficult, you're not reading or you're not awake because there's difficulty in understanding some of this, okay? But the best way to understand it is by this. This book interprets this book. Um, front to back, it hasn't changed. It's the same God with his same purpose in man. He changed the way that he did it at at the coming of Jesus. Uh, This mystery that he talked about, he says the mystery which is hidden from past ages. Um, This mystery is what? Christ in us, the hope of glory. Prior to that, God resided um, in, in a temple in God's Shekinah glory in the Ark of the Covenant. In the Holy Holies, um, God did walk in the garden with people intimately. But when sin entered the world, um, God quit manifesting himself that way. And, and that's something that we should be very, very aware of. Okay? That, that God wasn't able to exist and live to walk intimately with an unholy people. God called people to be holy people. If Jesus Christ, at the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we now became the place where God dwells. And that's a very radical thing. Okay? That's a very radical change. God, God 
His purpose always in mankind, again, was to reveal His glory to men so that people would know Him. Right? Why did He want men to know Him? Why did He want men to see His glory? So that they would have a right, so that they could have a right relationship with Him. So they could honor Him as God. And God's purpose and desire has always been that, so that people would have a relationship because He wishes that all people would have a relationship with Him. From day one, there was the necessity of the substitutionary death in order to be right with God. The people understood the sacrifices. It wasn't that you punished an innocent lamb by killing it and slaughtering it and throwing it on the fire and burning it. Um, you didn't punish the lamb. The lamb was innocent. But what you did is, is that we re- that, that was a reminder, a continual reminder of the absolute necessity of all of us to have a substitutionary atonement for our sin. That we could place our sin and our guilt on someone else. And that was our only hope. That in and of ourselves, we could not be right with God. Be real clear about this. All of us, in, in our, the, the Old Testament was the same way to God as it is in the New Testament. As far as faith in God. Faith in the necessity of a Messiah. Faith in the necessity of a substitutionary death of the Lamb. We don't, we don't get to God. We don't have a right relationship with God just because we want to. And just because we try to. And just because we want, we try to be good. And we try to be right. There's the, all of us have this, have sin and the remnants of sin in ourselves. Guilt, shame. Okay? And don't, don't, we don't diminish guilt and shame. For us to diminish those is, is to, to, to sweep things under the rug, but it has nothing to do with cleaning them up or them going away. The necessity is for us to be able to put those on a substitutionary sacrifice. Our, our sin and our guilt are, cause us to be worthy of death and God's judgment. Okay? That's just, God is a perfect judge. And he can judge no other than judge all sin. And we all have the necessity of putting that sin on our Savior, our Messiah. In the Old Testament, they put it on the lamb. Okay? They put it on the, the, the heifer or the goat. Um, and they substitutionarily put their sin and their guilt and their shame so that they could take it away. We can't live with that, okay? We can't live without. God made a way so that we can put our sin and our guilt on Jesus. Okay? This is a really important thing to understand. That Jesus himself, the, the, who Jesus was and, and what he is, again, we talked about that last week, and I don't think it can be emphasized enough what happened with Jesus and who is he and how dependent are we on him. And we... Let me finish reading this. To whom God willed to make known what are the riches, his saints, but he manifested now to his saints. That's us. That's what he calls us, his saints. Okay. He made known to us. Now, prior to that, again, God worked through a small... Excuse my interjection. But, but God worked in a small group of people called the Jews, right? For the most of the Old Testament. He called Abraham early on. And God worked in a small group of people to reflect his glory to the nations, to the world. That was always his purpose. Okay? Um, they, 
didn't do a very good job. They became very introverted, very self-righteous, generally as a people. And rather than reflecting God's glory and blessing the world through God's blessing of them, because that's, that's really what God's intention is. God's intention is to bless us, not because we're so worthy of it or because uh, we're so deserving of it or, or just because he wants, we, we want to be blessed and that's not our purpose. God's purpose in blessing us is so we bless others. Okay? That's God's purpose in blessing us. Um, always has been. God's purpose in blessing the nation Israel in, in showing his glory in the nation Israel so that they would show his glory to the nation. But they didn't do that. Um, they became very introverted. And, and, and as a result, God said, I, I have another purpose and another way that I'm going to do this. Um, and that's through all men. Now, instead of being confined to the nation Israel, I am going to, to work through the Gentiles or the non-Jewish people and the Jewish people if they decide to, to be obedient to the Messiah and recognize the Messiah. The Jews is a nation that though have not recognized Jesus as a Messiah. Okay? Um, so the truth is that they've lost their calling as the people of God. Okay? We are the people of God. The blessings of Abraham, the covenants that he made with Abraham now are uh, ours and what we share in. It's very, very important for us to understand the riches. Okay? And that, that actually, the word actually means wealth. Um, the word here, riches, and the word wealth, in a, in a few more verses in, in verse 2 of chapter 2, that's the same word. And the word means wealth. Okay? There's wealth in what? What is the wealth of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we proclaim him. This is what Paul's purpose is, what my purpose is. We proclaim him, it's what you guys' purpose is, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that he may present every man complete in Christ. Complete in Christ. The word is perfect. Okay? That was his, that was his goal. And for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf. That, that means how engaged I am in this purpose. And for those who are in Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Did you hear what that says? In Jesus Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's a big statement. Is it important that we understand who Jesus Christ is? Yeah. Because in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Is it, does it matter how we believe about Jesus? Absolutely. And I say this in order that no one may delude you with persuasive argument. Okay? Now again, we, we think of this as somebody who's an obvious con man. That's 
not what he's talking about. And this, I say this in order that no one may delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in the body, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him, this is... We need to understand the Jesus Christ of the Bible, not the Jesus Christ of our culture, not the Jesus Christ of our religion. We need to understand the Jesus Christ of the Bible. And it's really, really important to understand what this rich is, what's the inheritance of the saints. For in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him, we have been made complete. Complete. That word is a different word than the other word. Complete, that, that word means full. We are, we are filled up. We have the fullness in us, okay? In him we have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. Meaning we are set free. And in him you are also circumcised. And, and this is a very, we've talked about this verse. Um, remember back when Paul was, was dealing with the, the, the Pharisees saying that you need to be circumcised. Okay, I mean, part of there was an ongoing, continual uh, fight among the Jews who had begun to follow Jesus and the truth of Jesus, um, and the Gentiles who had begun to follow Jesus. And the Jews always said, "What you have to be circumcised, right?" I mean, because that that was a part of their tradition. They believed that was something necessary to be right with God. So there was always this this Tension, not always, but for the most part, there was a lot of tension between the two. And we talked about this. What, 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 did, what was the purpose of circumcision? Again, Christ came, he, he, Jesus said in, in Matthew, he said, I did not come to abolish the law in Matthew 5, but I came to fulfill the law. Okay? I didn't come to do away with it. I came to complete it. What was a picture of me? What was a picture of the necessity of, of his atoning blood, of his atoning death, what was the picture of the necessity of the Messiah, what was the picture of holiness? Okay? Jesus came to fulfill in him. All right? And circumstance, circumcision, pardon me, was a major one of those. All right? This is a, this is a very, very important understanding. We are all women and men. We are all to be circumcised. Okay? Now, that doesn't have anything to do with, with whacking your deal, you know? I mean, that's, obviously girls aren't going to get it done, you know? So, so obviously, how does that happen? What does that look like? What does that mean? This is a very important thing. This is what happens in our relationship with Christ. And, and so please listen. In Him, in Christ, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. What is it? In the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Okay. That's a, that's a very important concept because contemporary, these, 
remember he just said a minute ago, I, I, in order, I say this in order that you, that no one may delude you with persuasive argument. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to traditions of men, according to elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. We need to be conformed to what the Word of God says. What is, what are those philosophies and empty deceptions these days? And this is a really, really important thing for us to understand. I was, I was, yesterday, my, my, my wife, um, Saturdays are usually her day to do work on her business and, and make things for craft stuff and now she's got the fair coming up so she's working on them. So while she's doing that, she has this, she, she likes to watch old movies with her daughter and sometimes Saturdays they do that. So in, in the hope of doing that, she DVRs, she goes through and DVRs the movies to see if what's good. And some of them are um, absolutely pathetic and just as disgusting as contemporary stuff and some of them are somewhat virtuous, okay? Um, so, in, in, I'll leave it there. But, but one of the things, she, she DVR'd a, a movie last night, that, or yesterday, that was um, uh, the Nuremberg Trials. And it was a movie done, it was still black and white, it was done 61, I think, or something like that, but it was about the 1948 Nuremberg Trials. And it was a, a reenactment of specifically um, the trial of one judge. It was actually the, the reenactment of the trial of four judges, but primarily focused on one judge. And, and it was based, I'm not sure how loosely, but it was, it was based, excuse me, on history and what happened. Um, what's that? In Nazi Germany, yeah. Okay. Good to see you. It's all right. And 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 the, in the Nuremberg trials, I mean, you guys, um, I'm sure, have all heard of that. You know, in spite of what Ahmed Dinajab says, you know, they they uh, there, there was a there was a problem with with Germany, and it's always been perplexing to me to understand how the German people could allow things to go on with Hitler. They did. I mean, these were Lutheran people. I mean, these, these, these were bright, intelligent people. I mean, still are. I mean, this, look at the, the only successful country in Europe right now, I think, is Germany. I mean, Germany is, you know, they're, they're, they're bright, intelligent people. This, is the, this, was the, this was where the center and the foundation of the Reformation happened, was in Germany. I mean, this is, this is a pretty big deal. And, and, and here these people were supposedly people of, of God, people of the Word of God. Um, you know, the, I mean, Martin Luther was all about putting the, the Word of God into the hands of the common man, translating it into the language of the common man, so that we could be obedient to the Word of God and not to the, the dogma of the church. That we weren't, we weren't under the power and authority of a priesthood that, in a, in a Catholic church, pardon me, who had become I don't know, become, was fairly perverse in their understanding of the things of God. And so Martin Luther was what I would say very perverse in misunderstanding. Okay? And Martin Luther was about, 
saying, wait a minute, you know, we need that common people need to read this word because they need to stand in the authority of what God says, not in the authority of what the Vatican says. Okay? So, I mean, this, this, this is the, this is the old, this is the foundation of Germany, you know, in, in where it comes and then what happened? And what happened? Because we, you know, we can all, we all know the atrocities, you know, six million Jews. You know, those are the ones that we have records of. Not even speculate about how many were, were, were murdered. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's profound, the, the level of degeneracy. I mean, they, it wasn't just that. I mean, there was mass sterilization. You know, if you didn't meet, if you didn't meet an I, you know, not an IQ test, but a simple, if you were simple minded was, I think, the, the phrase used to, um, which is true. If you're simple-minded, that was a disease. That was a genetic disposition, and you were sterilized so that you didn't breed in this. And, and um, you know, they, there was there was many German people killed during this time. I mean, it was it was a rather you know genetic purification was was part of it. That our culture will be better. How, how did they get there? And and I don't really want to spend the time going through the history of it because it's always been a, a very sobering thing to me, okay? Because the Jews killed somewhere around six million people in this, innocent people in this atrocity. Germans, yes, excuse me. We, in, in the United States of America, since Roe versus Wade, have killed over 50 million innocent children. That's a lot. Over 3,300 a day in this country. Innocent children. And, and you look at the people of, of, of Germany and, and being held on trial there, talked about it. You know, we're really innocent of this. We were just following the law. We were just, you know, our, ju- our responsibility as a judge is just to do what the law says. You know, we're not supposed to interpret the law. We're just supposed to do what the law says. We didn't know this was really happening. Only a few people knew what was really happening. And we didn't know that this was going on. And we believe that, that a, a little bit of um, maybe some harsh things some some radical steps needed to be taken in order to save Germany. Um, they were very nationalistic, which wasn't necessarily a bad thing. But you know, after World War One, they were pretty beat up. Um, they were pretty beat down. They were impoverished. They, you know, they didn't quite know what to do. Unemployment was rampant. I mean, it was a perfect setup for Hitler to come in. You know, and save the day. How do we save this country? How do we do it in the name of this country? Abortion in this country, it, it's, in, in, you know, this isn't, mourning isn't about abortion. It's, it's, to me, this is a statement of how easily, how far we can go in being deceived in deception. Okay? Most abortions among religious peoples, whether it's Protestant or Catholic or any other, it, uh, the, the highest percentage are among Protestants. Okay, the highest percentage are 
or the highest number age group is is women in their twenties. Okay, I mean this is there is no there is no plausible um, explanation. There there is no discussion. I mean this is the same as the people of Germany when they looked at it and said, well, I just pretending like it's not there. I don't really want to know. You know, I you know Dachau was was within a few miles of of Nuremberg, you know, which was a center of Nazism, you know, and and yet we didn't know, we don't know, because we didn't want to know. We only thought there was a few people that were persecuted. We only thought there was a few people that that this happened to. Um, it's really, it's no, really, no different, you guys. I mean, we. And, and, and how does this happen? Again, how did, how did they, we look at Germans and we say, how did they go there? How did they get there? How did they ever find this acceptable? Um, right? Through persuasive argument. Okay? Through not following the word of God. Through letting it slip. You know, the, it's, it's no different. Um, it, it is no different in our country. I mean, I, I, I've tried to, with some intelligent, intelligent thinking, cognitive, supposedly intellectually honest people, tried to say, how do you validate this? How do you, how, where, do you, where do you say this? You know, well, where does life begin? Okay, you want to have that argument? You know, I, I don't know. I mean, they can take a one and a half pound baby and dump all the resources necessary and find it such a viable, important life. Okay. There, there is no logical argument. But what, what do people do? They do the same thing as the German people. I mean, the inference was, if you, if you would have talked to German people, nobody knew what was going on. There wasn't a German person who knew what was going on. Okay. Well, they certainly could have, and certainly did. But they weren't willing to make a stance. Because you would have been deemed against the party, you would have been, you know, you would have been coming against the country. I mean, this everything was in a fervor of, of I mean, all of a sudden, and, and it wasn't the blessing of God, obviously, so it was a blessing of other principalities and powers. All of a sudden, Germany became the center of power in Europe, and went from being this kind of oppressed, after World War One, beat up country, to to being a major power in Europe. Okay. Um, dictating, controlling a lot of what was happening in Europe. Well, they didn't want to lose that because they were prospering from it. And you look at, you look at us, I mean, what are the, what are the arguments for abortion? Well, you don't want kids, you don't want kids to be born that are a burden on society that the government will have to take care of. You don't want kids to be born that are unwanted because that's not fair to them or fair to everybody else. You don't want kids to be to, to that, that will hurt our society. That will hurt our culture. That will be a drag on our on our country. How is that any different than the German argument about when they were when they were participating in genocide? You know, it really is no different. It's the same argument. You know, the 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 it didn't start obviously with Jews. Be very clear about that. It started with with the mentally ill. I mean, it started with, with people who were a drag on society. It started with gypsies, you know, prior to ever going with Jews. It started with people that were, 
that we're dragging down, that we're a burden on society. And if we're going to clean up our nation, if we're going to, our nation's going to be powerful, if we're not going to have this drag on our government, drag on our culture, then we need to eradicate, we need to go into genetic purification, you know, but we need to eradicate these people that are draining our society. We're, how different are we than that? I mean, that's, that's our same argument. I mean, I've never heard anybody that said, well, you don't, you don't want people to born, that, kids are born that are unwanted. Because what kind of a drag will that be on our, what kind of life will they have? You don't want kids that are just going to be a product or a burden on our government. And you say, how do we get to that? How do we, how do we get to that point? I, I, you know, I, I found it, I found it, you know, in, in, in thinking about what was happening in, in Germany and, and watching it for a couple hours, it was, I think a two hour movie or something on it, but, um, and, you know, it's, it's old school movie, you know, doing it. It's not, I mean, it's, it's amazing how Becky and I were talking about it and watching it, how new movies are so, boop, and you're sitting there going, okay, okay, yeah, you don't have to think. Your brain doesn't ever have to engage because it's just, you know, you've got things happening at such a fast rate, you know, it's just throwing them at you. And old school movies are much different, you know. There's silence and there's just this look of, on people's faces and lingers and stays there awkwardly for a long time. You know, you're having to think about what they're thinking about and your brain's having to engage if you're going to do it. And, you know, that was the, the art, I guess, in some ways of, of acting, of cinema at the time. Um, that they were, you know, they were making statements with other than just the boom and the bang and the words of their mouth. You know, there was a lot of things said. And, you know, and, and, and I think that it was, a, it honestly, is something that all of us should consider. I mean, how did people, because we see it as absolutely diabolical, because it was diabolical, what happened, how they acted as a nation, how they acted as a people. But to consider how did they get so far, and yet it would be very important for us as Americans to look at and reflect on, because how have we gotten so far? You know, Again, since Roe versus Wade, which is, a completely tragic, erroneous movie. There's been over 50 million innocent children killed. Okay? Now, this isn't a, you know, a, we are products just like the, the German people became products of that culture and society. It doesn't take the blame away. But with God, there is great hope. I do not want to... Um, the burden, the, to me, the greatest taxing part of, of of the issue of abortion in our culture is that we have a, a generation or a couple generations now of women who are just pounded, okay, and yet and yet are not they're not given a way out. There's no hope. There, you know, you're just supposed to sweep it under the rug and pretend like things didn't happen. Okay, that's not the case. This is no different than any other of us as humans in our relationship with God. We need to put our guilt, our shame, our sin on a substitutionary lamb, on Jesus. And we can be free from that. That's what being set free is. We can be free from our guilt. We can be free from that. But when we don't even acknowledge it as sin, we do not free. When we sweep it under the rug, there's nothing about sin that hiding sin ever brought freedom from guilt or freedom from shame or right relationship with God. We, we can be right with God. That is the gospel. 
That is the gospel. That is the good news. Not that we deserved it, but that God, by his longing to have a right relationship with us and realizing that he does not have a right relationship with us when we are beat up by guilt and shame. Period. God is the... God is a holy God, and God has always been that way. There's a, where is it, Leviticus. The Old Testament is the same as the New Testament. There were some verses I was reading in Leviticus, Leviticus 19.2. Because again, this, we serve the same God. Leviticus 19.2 says, and this is God directly, all right? God speaking to Moses. That had to be a wild ride. Okay? God speaking to Moses. God said to Moses, Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Okay? You shall be holy. Because, why? Because God longed to have a relationship with His people. And, and, and that, that doesn't happen when we're full of guilt and, and, and sin and shame. There, there's. Uh, let, let me read something here because I, I really um, thinking when I was reading some in Leviticus and studying. Let me just read something here, verse 19 of, of chapter 18. Um, and this is verse 20. Right? Let's start there. There's. And you shall not have intercourse with your neighbor's wife to be defiled with her. This is God telling him these things. Neither shall you give any of your offspring to offer them to Molech, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. I just, you understand, this is, a, this is an important understanding because I, we are going to be held accountable as a nation. I'm not a doomsdayer. Okay, I'm not a person who. Um, that's not why I have guns. You know, I'm not. I'm not a doomsdayer. Okay, but we are in trouble. Okay, we are in trouble. No, in the, let me just read this. The god Molech was was a god that they worshipped. They sacrificed their babies to. Typically, it was made out of bronze. They heated it up so hot that its arms were glowing red, and they had a platter on it, and they put their babies on there. Sacrificing. And we think, how terrible! They sacrifice their babies to God. Abortion in this country is sacrificing our babies to their God. It is no different than them sacrificing to the God Molech. No different. And God sees it no different. The reason that we do it, the reason and purpose that we do it, is because it's an inconvenience on our, to our God. It, 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 it's a burden on our life. It, um, it's something that I don't want. It's something that will interfere with my life in my future or my, or my whatever, or my career. And we put monetary gain and career above children. And what did God say about this? Because this is, was one of the things they did in, in doing it. They, um, you know, we, just because we don't have this altar out there and just because we, we silence them before they come out of the womb does not change. They might not have had the technology to do that so easily. Okay? You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It's an abomination. What does God think about homosexuality? 
And you shall not have an intercourse with any animal to be defiled with it, nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is perversion. Do not defile yourselves by any of these things. For by all these things, listen to this again. You know, we think of sometimes too much that, that God loved this nation Israel, but God is not a very nice God because he went and destroyed these other people and took their land, stole them from them, stole their cities. Okay? What, what does God say here? Do not defile yourselves by any of these things, for by all these the nations which I am casting out before you have become defiled. For the land has become defiled, therefore I have visited its punishment upon it. For the land has spewed out its inhabitants. But as for you, you are to keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not do any of these abominations, neither the native nor the alien who sojourns with you. For the men of the land who have been before you have done all these abominations, and the land has become defiled, so that the land may not spew you out, should you defile it, and as it has spewed out the nations which have been before you. For whoever does any of these abominations, these persons who do so shall be cut off from among their people. Thus you are to keep my charge that you do not practice any of the abominable customs which have been practiced before you, so as not to defile yourselves with them. I am the Lord your God. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I am the Lord your God. For I, the Lord your God, am holy. How does that happen? How, how did they get there? Again, we, the, the, the understanding of... God going before the nation of Israel was God. These people had rejected God. And these people had, had, had done abominable things in the sight of God. Okay. And, and, and God destroyed them because they had rejected Him and degenerated to that point as a culture. And God desired to reflect His glory through the nation Israel. Just like he desires now to reflect his glory through who? Through the church. That is what we are now. We are the reflection of God's glory. Okay? And, and, and God, the, the, the reason that I bring this up is because God desires and longs that we are a holy people. And he has made the way for us all to be. For us to have a right relationship with him. For us to be forgiven. God's grace is His unmerited favor towards us. Let me... We were talking about this Thursday. And, and let me try to make it clear again because it's something that I don't know that we should ever walk out of here without trying to make clear because there is such a distinction in contemporary view of grace and the biblical view of grace. Okay? God's grace is not that He overlooks sin. Be very clear of that. God overlooks no sin. God's grace is that He made a substitutionary sacrifice to pay for that sin. God's grace is that when we were, were dead in our trespasses and sin, God said, but I sent Jesus to die in your place. But I sent Jesus that your guilt, that your shame, that your sin could all be put on Him and my judgment would be transferred to Jesus the innocent lamb, instead of the you. 
so that you can have a right relationship with me without judgment, without condemnation. Okay? Because that's what God longs to have a relationship, how he longs to have a relationship with us. This is not that he overlooks sin. To say that God overlooks sin is to say that he killed his son, his own son, evilly. For no reason. Without purpose. God killed his own son in our place because he loved us. Okay? That is the wonderful story of grace, of God's unmerited favor towards us. That we can be reconciled, that we can be made right with God through what Jesus did, not through what we do, through what Jesus did. That should change our life. And that will change our life. Okay? If we appropriate that, if we are baptized into that, that will change our life. Let me finish reading what we're reading in Colossians. Okay? Because what, what's important, deceptions. I was just writing some down briefly this morning. The deceptions that we, that we live with today that are completely contrary to the Bible. That, that basically so many of them are rooted in God doesn't see sin. God doesn't see our sin, okay? Which is a lie. Which is a baseline lie. And, and let me just, I just briefly this morning, early I was thinking, well, what are some of these persuaded, things that we're persuaded by, things that we're told are acceptable? Okay, and this is in no particular order, and it certainly is not comprehensive in any way. It was just off the top of my head. One of them is don't talk about abortion. Just don't deal with it. Don't do it. Just like the people in Germany. Let's just not deal with it. Let's pretend it doesn't happen. Okay? Let's pretend that the murder isn't, isn't going on. God is okay with divorce. That's something that we, we find. God, don't judge homosexuality. God's okay with that. We're under grace. We're not under the law. In quotes. Okay? We're not to judge, period. In fact, the most quoted Bible verse in America today is do not judge, which is a complete lie of what God said. That is not what the Word says. That is not in context of what it says. That's pulled out of character or out of context. Uh, my personal relationship with God is my personal relationship with God. It's not anyone else's business. Okay, It's my personal relationship with God. There's multiple interpretations of the Scripture. There's lots, there's lots of ways to understand it. God can use it in anybody's, you know, He can use multiple interpretations. So there's many different ways. So if you understand it one way and I understand it another way, that's fine. There's multiple interpretations of Scripture. That's a deception. That's a lie. There are not multiple interpretations of Scripture. God meant what He said and said what He meant in the Bible. And, and if we don't agree on it, either one of us is wrong or we're both wrong. Now, as far as application, how it applies to my life, you know, that God, it's, it's phenomenal as I read, as I spend time studying. It's amazing how God, wherever I'm at, God uses it in my life. I mean, it's powerful. It's, it's the supernatural aspect of the Holy Spirit working through the divinely inspired Word of God. It's, it's, it is a magic book, okay? It is a supernatural book. Divinely inspired and divinely powerful. So, there are, there, God uses it in our lives in a multitude of ways. But there aren't multiple interpretations of Scripture that are correct. Okay? There's multiple interpretations. 
God does not, God does not want us to struggle. Okay? God just wants to bless us. You know? um, that, that, that's not what Scripture says. That is a deception and goes against what Scripture says. God does not want us to, God does not want us to live with guilt, so don't worry about your sin. Right? I mean, I, I grew up adults are, I mean, I grew up my whole life. The closest, the closest thing I ever heard to dealing with lust and masturbation in my life, growing up in the church, as a kid in the church, okay, struggling like everybody else was, the only thing I heard, oh, God doesn't want you to live in guilt. So don't worry about it. Now, you know, maybe, it might not be right, it might be right. The Bible doesn't say anything about it, so don't worry about it. Really? And so as a result, what? As a result, long to have a relationship with God and yet had none. Had long because I was thinking sexually about his daughters. Okay? That had no right to be thinking sexually or thinking sexually about his sons who you have no right to. People who are not our husband and our wife. Sexuality is, is something that God intended to be a wondrous thing. But he had, did not intend this to be outside of marriage. There is to be no sexuality outside of marriage. That's called impurity. Okay? So playing, teasing, toying, participating on whatever level outside of a marriage covenant relationship is sexual immorality. And when we are willingly living in sexual immorality, do we have a relationship with a holy God? I will just say no, we don't. So in spite of what we think, we have to make up a relationship. We have to get a relationship that's confirmed by other people. We have to get a relationship that's built, that's confirmed by participating in dogma. We have to get a relationship so that we have affirmation in our relationship with God. But that's pretty impotent. And, and most Christians, as a result, spend their life not ever knowing the power of God that can set them free from sexual sin and sexual immorality. Because it's not that. And God just doesn't want you to live in guilt and don't worry about it. Sin is the act and not the thought. Okay? As long as we don't act on it, it's not sin. That is absolutely contrary to what Jesus said. Jesus said it's all about your heart. Okay? It's all about your heart. The act is a bad thing, but the act comes from a heart. It's bad. And the bad heart is what God cares about. Okay? What, what causes us to believe that is, I mean, what, what the, the pathetic part about that is, is that this makes us all hypocrites. And how did Jesus do with hypocrites? If you've read the gospel, you realize he didn't do well with hypocrites. That was where he was in continual conflict. People who said one thing with their mouth but acted differently with their with their boots said they believed in God and yet did not love. Okay? We we very easily get conformed to persuasive arguments, to deceptions that happen that are contrary to the Word of God. And what we need to go back to is who are we, what are we, what has Jesus done? In him, all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. And it says that we are, that he is in us. In him you have been made complete. In other words, there's no excuse. You've been made full. Okay? You've been made full. You've been given everything necessary to live a right relationship with God. Can you be saved and born again and, and live in unbroken fellowship with God for the rest of your life. Yes, you can. Haven't seen it done. Okay? Don't know if it is done in this life. 
But you are full. You are complete. The fullness of the deity dwells in you. All right? As a result, we are in the process of what we call sanctification. Okay? Of being set apart. Of being changed from the inside out. You have been made complete. And He is the head over all authority, over all rule and authority. That's something that... Why did He throw that in there? Where did that come from? You know, what, what does that have to do with anything? You know, that seems kind of abstract. Okay? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and authorities and principalities and rulers of this dark age. Okay? He puts that in there because he says, you are no longer under the bondage and control of Satan in him. Okay? We are set free from that. In other words, is he giving us excuse for willful disobedience? Or is he saying you've been set free? You've been set free. You, he is the head. He is above all rule and authority. In him, you were circumcised. Okay? In him, the, when you are, when you, well, let me just read what it says. In him, you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. In the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. I don't think there's, that in any way is speaking of water baptism. This is not about water baptism, does it? This is about being fully immersed in the death of Jesus. This is identifying with the death of Jesus. This is, in other words, dying to ourselves. Okay? We are buried with Him. Okay? In baptism, in which you were also raised up with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. We were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead, and when all of us were dead in our transgressions and the uncircumcision of our flesh. Okay? This is talking about virtually all the people prior to Jesus Christ too, right? All those people were dead in their transgressions and the uncircumcision of their flesh. Okay? We are dead in the uncircumcision of our flesh, in, in our transgression. He made us alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgression, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of degrees against us and which were hostile to us. Be clear about it. This, this is a very important... God, the, the impact of sin in our lives, of guilt, of shame, of, a, of not having a right relationship with the Most High God, a Holy God, is powerful and pounds us. Okay? It, it, it's, in Jesus realized, God realized the necessity of taking that away, of canceling out the certificate of debt so that I can be right with God. Okay? How do you make things right with somebody you have debt with? Okay? By paying the debt. We can't pay the debt to God. Jesus paid the debt in our place. Okay? By canceling out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us which were hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made, God made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Let me read Romans 8 and we'll leave it at that. 
Because Romans 8 says it too. And you say, well, we've read that before. I know. But let me just say that, that we, our culture is more full. When you've got a primarily pro, would, if we looked at the German culture under Hitler, okay? If we stood back even whatever, however level of informed we are on history, I don't know that it really matters. Whatever level, if we looked at the German people of the nation Germany and who call themselves Christian, okay? Call themselves Lutheran. If we looked at them and, and, and looked at history and watched what they did under the rule of Hitler, would we say they were following God? I, I don't know that I, is anybody, would anybody say yes, that they were following God? I do not think so. I think we could say really obviously, right? They were not following God. That was not, what they did, how they acted, sterilizing somebody because, you know, because they were simple-minded or they didn't reach an IQ level. Cutting, it wasn't just a simple sterilization, they castrated them. Okay? Castrating somebody because of that, that was following God? You know? Um, you know, murdering, murdering people, killing people because they had relationship with Jews? I don't mean sexual, the contact. You can't have contact. That was defiling of the Aryan race. You weren't even supposed to be, you know, close to them. So you were accused if you had a... It went against the laws. The Nuremberg laws said that you are not to have an intimate, close, touching relationship. They're dirty, they're filthy. This is a lower, defiled race and you're not to be close to them. Okay? So you'll disobey the law. You could die. You know, if you do that. Or be put in prison, minimally. I mean, we, we can be pretty sure these people were not following God, and yet they thought they were. And yet they claimed to be followers of God. I would, you know, I, there's a um, contemporary, our feeling today, I, I would say the same thing about our country. Do you think we are as a nation, a Christian nation, following God when we have killed 50 million innocent, this is just one thing, 50 million innocent children? in the last few years, when we kill over 3,300 a day, murder innocent children, throw their bodies in a trash can? Are we following God? Are we following God? Well, how about the, most of the people in Germany didn't know what was going on. How about us? Are we, do we not know what's going on? Are we just silent on it? And, and, and abortion isn't, isn't the only thing. I mean, you look at us, we are preposterous. You know, same-sex marriage? How do you think God feels about that? When marriage represents our relationship with Him. That's what He designed it for. That's what He intended it for. That's purposely... And, and, and for, for that model to be destroyed and decimated, what does that do to innocent children when they watch it and, they, and they're coming up watching that? Does God care how we deal with innocent children? Oh, let me tell you, He does. He very much does. God's purpose is for children to be raised with a model of truth in their families, okay? in the culture, in their larger families, in the body of Christ. Um, God cares about how they are. But what, what, is the, what is the understanding that we have today? That it's okay. 
God knows that we're just sinners. Right? And you guys hear me harping on this. Pardon me, I will continue to harp on it because it is so deeply ingrained in us that God is okay with our sin because we're just sinners. Jesus died to set us free from the bondage of sin. Okay? If God was okay with it, He wouldn't have sent Jesus to die to set us free from the bondage of sin. Right? We can be set free. Romans chapter 8. Verse 5. I'll read a few verses here. And this is, this is, this is, this is what the description of the gospel is. This is, this is the good news. This is the, this is the profound mystery which was hidden from all people until recently. Recently meaning it's been a while now. And God's patience, we should say, has been profound in the last 2,000 years. This, this is the heart of the gospel. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. For it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Do you think it matters if we please God? It really, really, really does. Okay? It really matters that we please God. Our works do not earn us favor with Him. Our works do not earn us salvation. Our works do not bring us forgiveness of sin. But it is really, really important. And God has made a way for us to do that. For us to please Him. And and He'll explain that, what that looks like here. We're not... Again, the contemporary view of being saved is... We can become saved so we have eternal security. We're born again so we can be, we have eternal security there. It's good. We're going to heaven. And now we're just trying to do the best we can in our flesh. Now we just struggle because we can't help it. Now we just spend the rest of our life until we die doing the best we can. That is not the truth of the gospel. Okay? The truth of the gospel is, has far more power and far more implication and far more distinction of truth than that. It says it right here. Okay? However, however, it says, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, does not belong to Him. Okay? And if Christ, this is talking about this misunderstood overly used, wrongly used term of being born again. Okay? The Spirit, when we are born again, the Spirit of God dwells in us. The fullness of God, we are, that's talking about being in Christ. Okay? And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. This is, that is not an excuse to be pulled out of context for duality. Okay? That my mind is right and I believe in God, but where my boots go, I can't help that. Okay? I can't help that. Right? Because I'm just a sinner and that's the way it is. No. Listen. He comes against that very strongly here. 
Okay? And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin. Is the body dead because of sin? Do I have the propensity to sin in this fleshly body? Absolutely. Okay? Will that ever change as long as I'm in this fleshly body? No. But be aware of this. Jesus had a fleshly body just like mine. He never sinned. Okay? I have. Pardon me a lot, tragically. Okay? A lot. Deserving of death. Absolutely. Okay? My body is dead because of sin. Jesus' body was not dead because of sin. Did Jesus have the propensity or ability to sin? Absolutely. Jesus was fully man. Okay? And yet Jesus did not. Jesus chose to live in obedience to God for the fullness of his life. Okay? And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if, and this is very key, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Okay? Remember that? Born again. The spirit of God dwells in us. If that happens, if you're born again, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, okay, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells in you. All right? That is not we're just screwed for the rest of our life living in this body. And I can't help but sin and God's okay with that because he understands. Okay? God overlooks my sin now because now I'm positionally right with God because I said the words. You know, I, I said the salvation prayer, and so I'm saved now. So now that I'm saved again, it doesn't really matter what I do because God understands I'm just a fleshly person. That's a lie. That is the philosophy of man. That is deceitful scheming. Okay, That's a lie that is pervasive that we need to come against. That is completely contrary to what this says. Okay, The same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead, if, if that... Spirit of God dwells in us. He is giving life to our mortal, fleshly, this body. Okay? That's not positionally someday in heaven. That's experientially right now. Okay? That God is redeeming this flesh so that I become holy. So that I live with, with the holy God. I can walk with the holy God. I can have a relationship with the holy God. Okay? That is what new life is about. That verse should be absolutely ingrained in you. But if the Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who indwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, because the flesh is still there. Okay? For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and daughters of God. Okay? That's a very, very apt, very good description of the gospel, of the good news. That God himself is willing now to live in us. And with supernatural power to change our bodies, to change our flesh, to redeem our flesh, to renew our minds, to change those 
synaptic responses to stimuli which promote sin, okay? Because we all, you know, you, you talk about it physiologically, and I'm not a, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a smart guy. So, but we we do have the propensity, and we're raised with the propensity to sin. Okay, so stimuli brings the response of sin. God is in the process of redoing that, literally. So that now my response to sin, my response to stimuli, becomes God. We are, to other people, becomes that. To things, becomes that. To materialistic things, becomes that. To, to my feelings, to sensuality, becomes that. That is, that, that is the good news. That is the gospel. That God allows us, His grace is such that His unmerited favor was given to us that we could be made right with him through the substitutionary death of Jesus. That's his grace. Not that he overlooks sin, but that he puts our sin on Jesus. My willingness to remain in sin is my willingness to remain disobedient to him. My willingness to not surrender my life, to not be dead to myself. Okay? Does that please God? No, it does not please God. Okay? That puts us in an adversarial relationship when I do not acknowledge him as God. And that's not just, I can't help it, and that's the way it is. If we're not born again, you're right, that's a true statement. Okay? But we can be born again. That's the good news. That's the gospel. We can be born again and live a new life. In him, we need to understand what in him brings. What are the riches of the glory? Okay? That's a really important thing to understand. Because, again, one of the great deceptions is that we, we can accept Jesus as a benefactor to my life. That's why I, I become saved. That's why I accept Jesus, because he'll benefit my life. Because he'll, he'll keep me from being so lonely. Because he, I've got eternal security. Because now I can, don't have to worry about my sin. I get, get rid of guilt and, and all, all these things that might benefit my life and make my life happier and my life better. Those aren't the riches of the glory. The riches of the glory is I can truly be set free from the bondage of sin. I can be set free from the effects of sin, from guilt, from shame. I can be, I, I can be made right with God. Okay? When there's something between us and, and somebody else, as a human even, right? If there's something, if we've offended somebody and done something wrong, how is our relationship? Not good, right? There's barriers, there's walls there, right? It's the same with God. How do we do that? We take care of that, right? We take care of that debt. We take care of that, I don't just mean monetary debt, but we take care of that offense, okay? Sin is offensive to God. For us to be right with him, we can't have that between us. Substitutionary death of Jesus gives us the ability to not have that between us. We can be free. There is nothing between us. No wrong between us. That our relationship, and that's what God longed for, to walk in this earth like he did with Adam in the garden. To walk intimately with unbroken fellowship. That's what God longs for. That's what God created us for. That's what God killed His own Son in order to allow to happen. 
and do not believe the deception and the lie that that is not experientially possible to live out on this earth. We are called, we are set free from the domain of darkness and now we are part of the kingdom of light. And we are born again. Now! Experientially. Not someday. The two coexist on this earth. And who are we a member of? What are we a member of? The kingdom of darkness? Or are we a member of the kingdom of light? Let's pray. God, your grace, your unmerited favor towards us, why you choose when we have spent our lives in rebellion and flipping you off, why you choose to kill your son so that it would be made right with you and we could be set free from the bondage that holds us captivity. Hold us in captivity. I, God, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you that you are not a unjust God who just overlooks sin. I thank you that you are a fully just God even though that means that I am on my own worthy of death and can never have a right relationship with you. But I thank you that you've made a right way. You've made a way that I can put that guilt, that, that certificate of debt no matter what, no matter what, into God, I ask that you would, I ask that your Holy Spirit would come down and alleviate the pressure of guilt and shame that keeps us, that keeps us believing that you cannot forgive certain things, that they are too great. Cause us to understand nothing is too great to surpass the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus died. Jesus died. That is the perfect, fulfilling, complete sacrifice. And as a result, there's nothing that we can do or have done that keeps us from having the right relationship with you. God, I ask that you would make our hearts know that. That you have made, made a way. That you have paved the way. That you have done everything necessary for us to be free from guilt and shame, from sin, from bondage to sin, that we can walk. Jesus said very clearly, be perfect as I am perfect. That, and he wasn't kidding. And that's, that's not about us going around trying to hypocritically be little perfect people on the outside. That is about realizing the power and authority that you have allowed us to live in. You said you came against all authority and all rulers in this world. In other words, those who have held us captive since we were babies, since we were children, those who hold this whole world in captivity. We can be set free from. Set free from our authority. That we are no longer children of darkness that we can be children of light, that we can be right with you, that our certificate of debt can be covered, taken care of. And in you, we can have the removal of the body of flesh by, the very, by your very hand. 
I thank you for that, that we are now can be a circumcised people set apart for you, holy and complete. Not just as an example of what was to come, but experiencing the reality in our lives. God, that's the riches of the glory of a right relationship with you. That's the wealth that has given us. That we can have peace. That we can have security. That we can have joy. That we can live without guilt and shame. That we can, it can be done away with, nailed to the cross. And I thank you for that. You did not create humans to live with guilt and shame. In a wrong relationship with you. You created them to live... Is holy people in a right relationship with you. And that's not some stupid religious wear robes act pious. That's a heart that's been sanctified. A heart that's been circumcised. I thank you that you've allowed us to have a relationship with you. I thank you that you've not only called us as slaves to a master, but you've called us as sons and daughters of the Most High God. I thank you for the privileges that come with that. That we have your undivided attention. That we have a longing, loving heart of a father to have an intimate relationship with us. That we can be confident that we have a father that wants nothing but the best for our lives. Wants nothing but us to be filled and complete in our relationship with you and God the Father. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, for making that way. I thank you that we serve a benevolent king. Not a selfish king, but a benevolent king. God, forgive us for the deception that we buy into, for the apathy that causes us to be held captive. The Germans didn't didn't move immediately into mass murder and genocide, the the German people slip slowly down a slide that we're going down and doing things which are overtly and completely abominable to you. And when that happens, you pull your blessing. When you pull your blessing on a country, you will be swallowed up. So God, I ask that you'd also please your will would be done in the elections. I ask that you would cause us to be people of this country you put us in and that's to be non-apathetic but to engage and participate in this democracy that you've caused us to be born into. That we would vote. That we'd participate in it because you had us born into this time. And that's our responsibility as citizens. You put us here. God, I ask that you would cause the people to rise up. I admit Romney is not a man who serves you. Neither is Barack Obama. And that's just obvious. God, I also believe that Barack Obama has, has radically push the agenda of Satan to devastate this country and the acceptance of 
the abolishment of this standard of marriage that you established and set in, in publicly using my money to fund abortions on an extreme level and on and on and on where he's destructive it would seem it would seem God that it would be better to move the value system different so God I ask that your will be done you say to pray for our leaders I I pray for both those men that you would have your way in their lives Most of all, God, I ask that you would not allow the enemy to distort and pervert your truth. I ask that you would dispel David out of it and, and distill it to your truth, that our hearts would be convicted, all of us, by your truth, by your light. That we would not allow Satan to beat us up with guilt and shame, that we God, that you would not allow. But that you would cause us to, to realize the great wealth, the riches of your glory. The, 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 the phenomenal truth of Christ in us. And what that means. I thank you for that. For that privilege and that honor of knowing you and of given everything necessary to be right with you and to walk in intimate fellowship with you. That's, there's nothing, nothing that even compares. Amen.